0: Every generation looks different, doesn't it? Every generation is weird to us, and yet the church continues to proclaim the gospel to the next generation. Amen? And these, these graduates are a picture of that, and we're very thankful and blessed by you guys this morning to get up and proclaim your love for the Lord and your ministry here at Northwest and what God is going to do. I can actually now say that I've lived more of my life after graduation than I did before graduation. So that, that dates me a little bit, but this is a very significant moment in your life, and um, you are now per se out of the nest, out of the home. You're being sent off to college or to the workforce, and you have two, two paths to choose. Uh-huh. We all have two paths to choose, but yours will be very evident now. One is living for the glory of God, which you're reminded of your faith in Christ, the grace that God has given you in Christ Jesus. And the other path is characterized by a life of your own selfish desires for your own glory per se. And is often characterized as living for the world and its desires. There is a temptation at this time in your life and in all of our lives as well, but this being a very important time for you to have one foot in following Jesus and the other foot in testing and tasting the world. And you will find out very quickly that that will not work It will not work for the world and it will not work for Christ because neither wants you to go halfway. And we'll see, as we've seen in Acts and as we will see continuously throughout this book, the church, the people of God do not cave in when it gets hard, rather they go deeper, they dive deeper into love with God and a yearning to fulfill his mission into this dark world. And so we pick up our story in Acts with the church in Jerusalem. Remember we talked uh, last week about this church in Antioch, this Gentile church, the first church, and they have sent their funds to the church in Jerusalem because something terrible is about to happen. One of the leaders, James, is, is is about to be killed by King Herod. And Herod thinks to himself that this is a good thing because now the Jews like him for doing this deed. He thinks, I'm gonna throw Peter in prison. He's, he, the same thing is going to happen to him. Well, God has other plans because the church prays. And then we're gonna pick up this morning reading about Herod. We're gonna walk through this text and this story of pride of King Herod wanting this glory for himself, and what it's about is glory to God. This is all glory to God. So let's pick up in chapter 12. We're gonna go through all of chapter 12, but I'm gonna read to you starting in verse 20. So if you'll stand with me in the reading of God's word this morning. We're just gonna read 20 to the end this morning, and then we'll go walk back through the text together. the voice of a God and not of a man. Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John whose other name was You can be seated. Let's pray. Father, we are blessed and thankful to be here this morning. We are blessed to be a people who sing praises to your name because you are worthy of all honor, of all glory. And Father, help us be image bearers of you. With our life. Father, help us to be a people who give you glory and honor through our prayer, through our life, through what we say and do. Help us to not have one foot in the world and one foot in the gospel, but fully planted and rooted in the Word of God and in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us to overcome this world through the blood of Christ and the word of our testimony. In Jesus name, we pray. Amen. So we have the Olympics coming up, right? You guys may know this, the Olympics are coming up and it's exciting to, to have some of these things open back up. We're kind of getting back to normal. It's exciting for us to have a full summer of Falls Creek and Cross Timbers and all of these fun things. And VBS and Champs Camp and everything, right? It's going to be it's so exciting. And we have Cody to do all that. And we're thankful for that. Um, yes, we're, 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 we're blessed to have him. But uh, yes, yeah, we can give him a round of applause. That's fine. We're excited you're here, man. We're just going to do this every week now. We're just going to say we're excited you're here every week that you come. Um, Can you tell we're excited? All right. Uh, So, but one of the worst things that happen is when athletes celebrate too soon, right? They begin to gloat before they've actually won the race. I'm going to show you a clip of a runner, and he's... Running this race, um, he's running actually the steeplechase race. And simple, simply put, if you don't know what a steeplechase is, it's a three thousand meter race at 1.86 miles and these guys are they're it's like an obstacle course okay if you've ever seen this the chase and they run over these hurdles and these big barriers and they run into the water and they run into puddles my kids would love it running muddy puddles as they run around the track and they're running and running and running running around this track and they're continuously doing this and this runner from Oregon his name is um guy, Pepeo, I think that's his name. He's in the race and he's winning by a, a large margin. And he begins to look towards the crowd and he starts waving like this to the crowd, pumping the crowd up as he's going to win the race and finish the race. And yet... Washington's Marin Simon does not give up and has a last burst of speed and as this man is going like this to the crowd, he passes him in the race. I'm gonna show you that video, if you guys have that. Take my word for it. There's a moral to this story. Yeah, look we'll at him, pumping an him up. Yes. Oh, there it forward. goes. He, he is, face. he is fired he up, and he does not Washington. get the win. Oh, look can't can't at that face. Stuff, right? Oh you man. You know, you All right. And you know, you that, know that is fantastic. That is fantastic. Now, this is what the young man said. After the race, I thought I was by by myself like far in front of the second guy. Pepbio said, "I saw Simon on the screen. I tried to pick it up. He just got me on the line. I'm not proud of myself right now, but it's a good lesson for me. I think not to do this in the future. Next time I'll just run the whole final stretch and celebrate in the victory lap." That's what he says after the race. He lost by 0.1 seconds. And when we read this story, and I know we haven't read all of chapter 12 yet, but in the same vein, King Herod has thought he has won the race, right? The, the person behind this evil ruler, Satan, he has thought he has won. He, he thought he won by by. By killing the leader of the church, putting one in prison, about to kill him, he thought he had cut off the church, the people of God. But he has not. And while Herod is pumping his fist in the air, right, to the crowd, showing how great he is, he is reminded that there is someone greater than him. And we are all reminded of that. We are all reminded. That there is someone greater than us, and Herod ends up understanding that there is one who is truly in control of everything that happens on this earth. Look at look at verse chapter twelve, verse one. About that time, Herod the king had laid violent hands. On some who belonged to the church, he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. We've heard that name before, King Herod, haven't we? He's from a line of wicked kings, satanic kings. King Herod the Great, responsible for slaughtering all the babies after the Magi visited him during the time of Jesus. Herod Antipas, the the son of Herod the Great, beheaded John the Baptist after he calls him out for his sin of adultery, wickedness, incest. And now the nephew, Antipas, the nephew of Antipas, Herod Agrippa, the first kills James and he sees that the Jews are pleased and he wants to please mankind and so he arrests Peter in order to kill him but he cannot kill him it says in the text that it's the days of unleavened bread it's the passover season the trial it, it can't be carried out the sentences weren't permitted during this time so he's he's waiting until the proper time god has other plans god's people have other plans Verse 4, and when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. What's he going to bring him out to the people to do? To kill him. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church the church this is point number one this morning prayer is an act of faith you see this is a very difficult time for the church in Jerusalem one of the inner circle of Jesus Peter James and John James the son of thunder has just been killed by the sword and now Peter The one at Pentecost who has just declared the gospel and seen all of these people come to faith in Christ. No doubt a leader in the church in Jerusalem has just been thrown into prison. And now the church finds itself backpedaling, trying to figure out what is going on. And yet they do not backpedal. They go to where we need to go. They go to the Lord The church doesn't say, hey, let's get our clubs and fight, or let's pay them off, or let's get our contacts, the people we know, and let's get them out. No, the church church fights with prayer. And this is how God works. We pray, God moves. You say, I I thought God was sovereign. I, I thought I thought he is in control of all things. Yes, God sovereignly moves through his people praying. That's how God works. Jesus tells his disciples this over and over again. Luke chapter 11, Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray. And then after he prays, he says this parable. He says in Luke chapter 11, verse 5, he said to them, which of you has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves? All right, midnight is, is like our 3 a.m., okay? Because back then, they, they would go to bed when it was dark. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't like they, they, uh, they, they went to bed at 1, 2 o'clock in the morning. No, they didn't have lights. They went to bed early. And so who's going at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves? It'd be like you coming to my house at 3 a.m. and saying, hey, I need some food, some ramen noodles and some macaroni and cheese. I'm like, no, go away, right? Not coming to my house. I love you youth people, but we don't have any pizza right now, right? For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from, from within like I would answer. Do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence. Uh, now, that, that's a word that you guys use on often. I'm sure that you've used it multiple times this week. But it means shamelessness, his persistence. Boldness in some translations. He will rise and give him whatever he needs. Not because he's his friend, but because he boldly asks him. He shamelessly asks him. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. The one who knocks, it will be opened. What? Father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent, or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion. If you then who are evil know how, how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So, what is Jesus teaching his disciples in prayer through this parable? He's saying, Ask in boldness in persistence, in shamelessly asking the Lord God Almighty, and will the Lord God Almighty not give to you? Is he not good? He's not going to give you a snake. Will he not give him a a fish instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will he he give him a scorpion? You, You You have little children you know what it means to be worn down right you know what it means to be pestered like it's like my kids going dad we got to go to Chuck E. Cheese dad we got to go to Chuck E. Cheese dad we got to go to Chuck E. Cheese five times I'm like no 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 and then the sixth time like fine let's go whatever right you know what it means to be worn down persistent God wants to to give us good gifts and he wants us to be persistent. Jesus is telling his disciples to boldly ask how much more will our heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. This is how prayer works. We ask in faith according to God's will. James 4.3 says this, you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. But God wants us to ask persistently. And just for good measure, Jesus again tells us the exact same thing to understand how prayer works. Luke 18, chap- chapter 1. Again, Acts is written by Luke. It's a continuation. He's highlighting to us how prayer works. Luke 18:1, he told them this parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and to not lose heart. And he said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice That she will not beat me down by her continually coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? Just to make sure that you understand, God gives us an unrighteous judge in the parable to understand that God the good and right judge wants to give his children what is good and what is they ask him for. In this case in this parable the widow asked for justice. I believe that there's some justice here that the church is asking for on behalf of James and Peter towards Herod. But church, we ought to start digging in in prayer. We ought to start boldly going before the throne by the grace that God has afforded us through Christ Jesus and asking the Lord to move and do what he wants to do. We will not take no for an answer asking God to save our family and friends, asking God to move in his church, asking God to do a work in his people, asking for boldness to share his gospel. We're reminded in this story that there will be days in which seem difficult seem hopeless and at these days we must not give up we we must look to the one who created all things and holds all things together because the God in heaven he hears our prayers he hears our cries and he will respond church we need to pray like we've never prayed before our country is not in great shape okay The church itself is not, not not this church, but the church, America, is not in great shape. The enemy seems to be veiling people's eyes on a daily basis by the things of the world, the hopes of the world, the continuous pursuit of selfish desires and the church must stand up and pray there's great wickedness in our city there's great wickedness in our neighborhood and we need to be people who are battling in prayer for our marriages for ears to be opened for people to come in our path who are hoping to hear the good news message of Christ it is now time for the people of God to raise out and to call, to raise up and call out to the Lord in prayer We've been, we've been studying for weeks now on how to share the gospel to Mormons in Utah with our team. We have a prayer guide for those who um, want to pray for us. We're leaving um, not this Saturday, but next Saturday, the 29th. And we're going to a place where there is, it's, it's basically an unreached people. 0.5% are evangelical Christians. Many people believe that they are the same as Christians. But we know that they don't serve the same God that we do. And it's heartbreaking for us to continually hear blindedness the veil that has been put on an entire people and this happens all over the world people continuously believe that they're going to heaven they're serving their God and their community and the way that God has designed it and yet the two cannot be true one is either true or one is either false. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's only one name under heaven by which men will be saved, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, the church ought to battle in prayer. If you don't know how to pray, we can teach you that. Many of you have been taught how to pray through adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Many have been taught how to praise and repent and ask and yield to the Lord. Some of our kids have been taught how to pray in joy to Jesus and others and yourself. But prayer is to be used to advance the gospel again. Advancing the mission of God. John Piper says this, prayer is primarily a wartime walkie-talkie for the mission of the church as it advances against the powers of darkness and unbelief. It is not surprising that prayer malfunctions when we try to make it a domestic intercom to call upstairs for more comforts in the den. God has given us prayer as a wartime walkie-talkie so that we can call headquarters for everything we need as the kingdom of Christ advances in the world. And that's what we see here. The church, we'll see in the passage later, the church doesn't even believe that Peter's at the door. Why? They're not praying for Peter's escape. They're praying for the gospel to move forward and to advance through Peter's death. They believe Peter is going to die, just as James has died. They're praying for the advance and the continuation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Rhoda has to tell them, hey, he's at the door. He's really at the door. He's really at the door. We're gonna read that in a minute. I'm gonna get to it. All right, verse five. We gotta get get moving. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him that was made to God by the church. Now, the four squads of soldiers so four squads of four soldiers. Four soldiers at three hours would be relieved by four more soldiers. And so they had these four soldiers that, that every three hours were being removed so they wouldn't fall asleep. So they wouldn't, so they wouldn't uh, have an escape. Why? Because this has happened before. In Acts chapter 5, uh, Peter is arrested with some of the disciples, and, and, the, and the angel comes to them and says, go preach in the middle of the street. And he frees them out, and they preach in the middle of the street, and it's all glorious. The high priests are upset. So they know that, that, that there's an escape process here. They don't know what it is, but they're going to chain them to eat the, these prisoners. Look at what it says in verse 6. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and centuries before the door were guarding the prison. So they had two guys in front of the door, they had two guys chained to Peter in the prison. And Peter is asleep, why? Because he's resting in the grace of God. He knows that to live is Christ, to die is gain. he's, He's not concerned about his own death. He knows that in the morning he's going to die. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, a light shone in the cell. You think to yourself, Peter, you would wake up if the light, nobody has to strike Peter. He struck Peter on the side and woke him saying, get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. The chains fall off his hands, but it doesn't wake the guards up, does it? And the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so, and he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. We don't know why Peter is naked at this time, but it, that's what the text says. So Peter is naked, he puts on his clothes, and he walks out. And he went out and followed him. He did not know what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them like it did it would an automatic gate right of its own accord and they went out and went along one street and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself he said now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all the Jewish people were expecting. Peter himself doesn't think that he's actually escaping prison. The Lord has just allowed James to die. Peter thinks I am going to die this is just a vision the Lord is giving me before I die. It's the hour is four to six in the morning. It's the ninth inning. There's two outs, and the Lord says, I'm coming for you, Peter. This, sometimes when we're praying, this is what God does. He doesn't immediately say, hey, hey, I'm gonna come immediately. He waits till the ninth inning. Okay? He waits till there's two outs left, and, and sometimes. He comes, all for his glory. Verse 12, when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose name was Mark. There were many gathered together and were praying, and when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice and her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in. And reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And she kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking. And when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now that, now when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him did not find him, he examined the sentries, ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judah to Caesarea and spent time there. This is our second point this morning. It's thus, all glory goes to God when we pray. All glory goes to God when we pray there's is, there's is, there's is no question in the text that somehow and some way because of Peter's might or his power or 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 some way that Peter did this, or the church did this, or the people of God did this. No, it, it, there is no question that it was the Lord God Almighty that did this. And, and, and when we don't give our problems to the Lord, how can he receive glory for those when he fixes those problems? How can his name be exalted if we are just trying to continue to work the problem ourselves without asking the Lord to work the problem? We can't. You see, the most prideful and selfish thing a Christian can do is, is not to ask the Lord in prayer. How can we expect the Lord to bless? our prayerless worship services? How can we expect him to bless our prayerless evangelism, prayerless sermons, prayerless marriages, prayerless community groups? How can we expect him to bless that and receive glory for that? The driver of everything the Lord does at Northwest is prayer. The driver of everything the Lord does in your life is prayer. We continue to push back darkness. Why? Because God is doing that, not us. You see, prayer is the avenue in which the Holy Spirit meets with man to bring about the Lord's will. It's also the avenue in which God receives the glory when things happen and the Lord does work. Prayer is recognizing that God is in control, we are not. It's all glory to God. The reason they thought it was Peter's angel is they believed Peter was already dead. They, they, wanted, they were praying for Peter to stay strong in the faith, that he would not recount, that his death would advance the gospel. So, so the question I, I have from this text is, is why, why does God choose to save Peter miraculously and not James, right? Why does James die by the sword? What, why does God choose to save some in their cancer and, and others he chooses not to? Why does God rescue Paul and he's being stoned and Stephen is stoned and dies? What does What is God doing? And as Paul talks about this in his letters, he says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. You see, for Christians, our goal in life is not to live a long life and prosper. Our goal is to glorify our Father in heaven by our life. Empowered by the Spirit to be ambassadors for Christ as long as we walk this earth. Our goal is different from the world. Yes, God gives joy and blessings and sometimes he will rescue us from our suffering and pain. And yet, sometimes he will use our suffering and pain to advance the gospel because we will place our faith in Him amidst the trial, because our trust is in God Himself. This is not our home, to live as Christ, to die is gain. Verse 20 says this, Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. Remember, the prophet Agabus had said that there would be great famine over all the world. And now Herod, who is is, is a great king and leader, has people who are coming to him, who are at odds with him, Because their country depended on food. These people are starving. And on an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered a narration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not of man. Now, you can imagine this man is probably hated by many, many people And yet he's bringing them food, people who are starving. And Herod makes this big display of his being their God and providing for them this food. And the people respond in worship of him and declaring him God. And the Lord has none of that. He says, your time is up, Herod. Verse 23, immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he does not give glory, God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. This is our third point this morning. God opposes the proud, but, but gives grace to the humble. You see these people in Tyre and Sidon, who was their trust in? Their trust was in a mortal king. We're not going to trust in our president, whoever that may be. We're going to trust in the King of kings and the Lord of lords as our provider. There's a great contrast here between the people of God trusting in God through prayer and not the people of God trusting in man. This is really the play of the Antichrist figures throughout history. They take for themselves the glory that is due to God alone. And God causes swift judgment upon Herod in this story. But all the prideful and all the arrogant and all these figures who take glory for themselves throughout the history of the earth will face judgment one day. Hebrews 9.27 says this, and just as it appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. The people of God humbly submit themselves to the Lord, the provider, the creator of the heavens and the earth through prayer. Prayer is humbling. Because you can't do anything. All you can do is ask the Lord to do it. 1 Peter 5.5 five says this, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You see, there is grace to be found when we recognize that we are not God and that there is a God who loves us, who died for us, Who has a plan for our lives. But God wants us to be bold in our asking. Church. Not for our own selfish motives, but for what he wants to do in and through his people. And when the Holy Spirit comes in line with our prayer life and the word of God, that's why... Oftentimes we pray the word of God. It's a very powerful thing that God can use to accomplish things that we thought could never exist or happen. He wants to do incredibly more than we could ever ask or imagine. He also wants us to be persistent. Let's go to him together. Let's pray for our lost friends. Let's pray for our city. Let's pray for those who are hurting. Let's pray for our marriages. Let's pray for our pastor. Let's pray and ask the Lord to grant us courage and boldness in our workplace. Let's pray and ask the Lord to place people in our path who have open ears and open eyes to hear the good news message of the gospel. Let's pray for our students as they go to their colleges that they stand upon the truth of, of God's word. Let's pray as the people of God at Northwest because all glory is due to God alone. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the reminder of this story of your, your interacting in in moving in the midst of this world, we thank you for your judgment and your wrath that you pour out, Father, on the ungodly and the unrighteous. And you grant justice to those who, who are deserving of your wrath. We thank you that you are granting grace to those who are humbly, humbly coming before you as, as, as your people. And Father, we pray that you would grant us boldness to walk in your spirit and in your presence today. We pray that we would spend time hearing from you what you want us to pray according to your will and your way and your word. We pray that we would yield ourselves to your power and your control, not in our own might. But by your spirit. Lord, give us the strength and energy that we need. Father, we are coming out of a pandemic. We are tired. A lot of us are hurting. Father, give us the strength and the courage to walk with you, to pray, to take time, Father, we pray for this summer that we do all of these things, the, the kids' activities, the youth activities, the summer evangelism, all of these things. Father, we pray that you would do them, not us. That you would give us the power and strength to do it, not us. And that you would move mightily in the hearts of young people, in the hearts of old people, In the hearts of non-believers, in the hearts of believers, they would respond to the gospel. That their hearts would be on fire for you, your purposes, and your plan for their life. Father, we thank you and praise you for this story that brings hope to our souls. That reminds us that you are God in heaven, that you see us where we are. Help us be reminded of that today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.